Blog Talk Radio. As believers who articulate our faith, we are going to be tested. If we pass the test, even though there may be times of struggle and times of doubt, our faith is not destroyed, it is not eliminated, we hold to Him because we love Him. If that's the case, then we will be blessed. Welcome to Grace to You Weekend with John MacArthur. I'm your host, Phil Johnson. A great preacher said that all trials serve two purposes, to better acquaint you with your own sinful heart 
and with your Lord and Savior. Now, it's easy for people who have made it through trials to agree with a saying like that. But what do you do when your suffering never seems to end? Bottom line, how can you be sure God will get you through the toughest times? John MacArthur has encouraging answers today as he begins a series titled Benefiting from Life's Trials. If you have a Bible, turn to James chapter 1, and here's John. Let's open our Bibles to the first chapter of James. Now let's go to verse 12 and look a little more at that verse. As believers who articulate our faith, we are going to be tested. If we pass the test, holding on to the Lord, even though there may be times of struggle and times of doubt, our faith is not destroyed, it is not eliminated, we hold to Him because we love Him. If that's the case, then we will be blessed. Now, to sum this idea up, let me suggest to you that the purpose of the testing is then twofold. Number one, its purpose is to expose the quality of faith. Testing, as I've been saying, is designed to reveal what kind of faith you have. Look back at verse 12 again. That phrase, for when he is tried. Literally, when he is approved after testing. That's the whole idea. Beloved, can you perceive that in your life? Look, when, when tests and troubles and trials come, when there is a death or when there is loneliness or a loss or problems, whatever they might be, can you see that through that God is testing the validity of your faith? He is making you approved. He is putting you through the fire, as it were, that you might come out with the dross burned off and the true faith shining bright. Those who hold fast to their trust in God through trials, those whose faith does not fall, though the trial may persist, show themselves to have living faith, living faith. Now, I want to digress for a moment because this is a perfect place to talk about a very important biblical truth, a very important theological thought. Have you heard the phrase, the perseverance of the saints? That's a wonderful phrase, a common one in theology. Let me talk about that for a moment. What does it mean when we hear the perseverance of the saints? We would say that it is a part of our theological creed that we believe in the perseverance of the saints. In other words, we believe that the saints will never abandon their faith. They will always persevere believing God through every trial. That's the perseverance of the saints. In other words, they won't believe for a little while and bail out. They'll persevere. There will be no trial that will come on them to make them give up their faith. Why? Because there is no temptation or trial given you, but such as is common to man, and God who is faithful will not allow you to be tempted above that you are able, and always will make a way of what? Escape that you may be able to endure it. There is always the possibility of the perseverance of the true saints, and the true saints will always persevere. That's a very, very important thought. Let me tell you why it's important. For years, I grew up hearing a phrase called Eternal security. Have you heard that? We believe in eternal security. That's a good phrase. In fact, I used to hear it this way. Once saved, you got it. Always saved. That's right. And that's a common phrase. Once saved, always saved. And we like to believe that. I mean, who wouldn't? 
I would not want to be a part of a system that said once saved, but you never know. I don't want that. No, the emphasis on once saved, always saved, that's all right. But what that is saying, in a sense, some people get real nervous and they say, wait a minute. Once saved, always saved means you can do anything you want and uh, God's sort of stuck with you. And the emphasis on that is on the holding power of God, and that's all right. Uh, the idea of eternal security means that God holds you. You're secure in His unchanging promise. You're, you're secure in His, uh, His inviolable power. And Scripture does emphasize that. We are secure. We are secure because of the power of God. There's no question about it. For example, let me just break that down. We are secure in our salvation because of the promise and power of God. John 10, you remember it? You've probably gone back to it many times in thinking about eternal security. John 10, 28, I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Why? My Father who gave them to me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand, right? So we're eternally secure because of the promise and power of God. He that has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. In other words, it's the promise and the power of God. Secondly, we, we say we're secure not only because of the promise and power of God, but because of the prayers of Christ. He constantly intercedes on our behalf, right? So that no matter what we might do, He intercedes on our behalf and tells the Father that He has already paid for that sin and therefore it's forgiven. In John 17, he prays for all of his own that they might enter into the fullness of salvation, and that prayer will be answered. In Luke 22, he talks about Peter, and he says, Satan desires to have you, but I have prayed for you that your faith fail not. And he says, when you get through this deal, I want you to strengthen the brethren. In other words, Peter was secure not only by the promise and power of God, but by the prayer of Christ. If any man sin, 1 John says, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but the sins of the whole world. Christ is our intercessor, our intermediary. There's a third element in this. We are secure not only because of the prayer and the promise of God and the, prayer, the promise and power of God and the prayers of Christ, but also because of the presence of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is in us the guarantee of future glory. Is that not so? Doesn't Ephesians 1 say we have the earnest of the Spirit? We are sealed by the Spirit to the day of redemption. Now, all of that emphasizes eternal security from the standpoint of the power of God, the presence of God through His Spirit and the prayers of Jesus Christ. The whole Trinity secures us forever so that no Christian who believes in the Lord will ever be lost. Isn't that wonderful? And our security is based, listen to this, on the covenantal faithfulness of God. And the very God of peace, says Paul to the Thessalonians, chapter 5, verse 23, sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm praying for you that you'll be preserved blameless till Jesus gets here. Verse 24 says, and faithful is he that calls you who also will what? Do it. We are secure based on the covenantal faithfulness of God. That's wonderful. God preserves his people from apostasy. He preserves his people from defection, and he brings all of them to heaven. That's clearly the teaching of Scripture. Listen to what Scripture says. 2 Timothy 1.12, For the which cause I also suffer these things, nevertheless I am not ashamed, 
For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed to him against that day. You remember that one? He's able to keep what I've committed to him and what have I committed to him? My soul. 2 Timothy 4.18 And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work, listen to this, and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. 1 Peter 1.5 says we are kept by the power of God. Jude 1, we are preserved in Jesus Christ. And Jude 24, now to him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Aren't those wonderful scriptures? Strong language, folks, about eternal security. But may I hasten to say there's another side to this. There's another side to this. You say, what's the other side? The other side is that we are not only kept by God, but from the human viewpoint, we also persevere. The means then of eternal security is wrought through the power of the Spirit, energizing the true believer to endure in faith through all trials. Burkhoff, Louis Burkhoff, an excellent theologian, calls perseverance that continuous operation of the Holy Spirit in the believer by which the work of divine grace that is begun in the heart is continued and brought to completion. So our part is to endure. Listen to what it says in the Scripture also. Matthew 24, 13, He that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. Now, we just said that God's going to keep us. We've turned the table around, and it appears to be contradictory, but it isn't. It's the way He keeps us, by energizing us by His Spirit to endure. Then Jesus said to the Jews in John 8, 31, If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples for real. 1 Corinthians 15, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached unto you, which you also received, and wherein you stand, listen to this, by which you also are saved if you keep in memory what I preach to you unless you've believed for nothing. If you don't hold on to it, you show your faith wasn't real. Colossians 1, listen to this text. And you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now has he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. Isn't that wonderful? Salvation. We're presented to God holy, unreprovable, unblameable in his sight. Then it says, if you continue in the faith grounded and settled and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel. You're only secure if you endure. Endurance is the means by which security is worked out. Therefore, Hebrews 2 says, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we let them slip. Hebrews 6, 12, we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end, and be not slothful, but followers of them, listen, who through faith and endurance inherit the promises. That's the perseverance of the saints. We endure. You say, well, what happens when someone doesn't, deserve, doesn't endure? Very simple. First John 2, 19, they went out from us because they never were what? Of us. That they failed the test of genuine faith. No trial then, beloved, is so great that it could sever you from your Lord if your faith is genuine. 
It's only a test to manifest the genuineness of that faith. So eternal security is not enough alone. It is not a question of once saved, always saved, no matter what you believe and no matter what you do. No. If there's not endurance, if you don't pass the test and hold on to the Lord, if you're not continuing to love and obey Him through every trial of life, then you give evidence of having an illegitimate faith. Trials then prove genuine faith. By giving us opportunity to persevere, and having persevered, look back and say, yes, I know I belong to the Lord. But for those who do not fall under the trial, would you notice back at verse 12? For those that do not collapse, he says, after they have been approved, he shall receive the crown of life. Now, for you Greek students, that's what I would like to call an appositional genitive. And literally, it would be translated this way, to receive a crown which is life. The crown equals life. The point here is this. The crown is eternal life. The promise of eternal life is what God has promised them that love Him. Eternal life, mark it, is our ultimate reward. You say, I already had that, I thought. Well, you do have it. You have it on promise. Someday you're going to get it in reality in its fullness. We are still waiting to enter into our future reward. That's why it's a future tense. He shall receive the crown. What is the crown? It is eternal life. This is reminiscent of 2 Timothy 4.8. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown which is righteousness, which the Lord the righteous judge will give me at that day, not to me only, but also all them that love is appearing. Again, at the time when the Lord comes and takes us to himself, there will be a crown. That crown is eternal life. There will be a crown. That crown is righteousness. We will at that moment have eternal righteousness and eternal life. And I believe it refers to the eternal life that we receive at the coming of Jesus Christ. In fact, all of the rewards that the Lord grants to us are bound up in our eternal life ultimately. 1 Timothy 6.12, fight the good fight of faith and lay hold on eternal life. The fullness of the promise of eternal life. In fact, in 1 Peter 5.4, when the chief shepherd shall appear, you will receive a crown which is glory. So it's eternal life, it's righteousness, it's glory. Those are not crowns that belong to different Christians. Those are crowns that belong to all Christians. All Christians will receive eternal life, eternal righteousness, and eternal glory. By the way, Revelation 2.10 also mentions the crown of life again. There it is promised to those who were faithful unto death, who went through trials. It's the same context. He's writing to the church at Smyrna. You have tribulation for a short period of time. If you prove yourself faithful through that, even if it means death, then I'll reward you with eternal life. Now, let me say this. Eternal life is not earned by endurance. It is not earned by endurance, but endurance is the proof of true faith and true love, which is rewarded by eternal life. Did you get that distinction? It is not earned by endurance. It is the reward for endurance, which proves the genuineness of saving faith. The word crown, by the way, is the word stephanos. It is used in several different ways. 
But generally, in the culture of the New Testament, it had to do with a wreath that was put around the head of a victor in an athletic event. So what he is saying is that the Lord is going to reward with eternal life those who demonstrate that they had true salvation in that they persevered. So, beloved, as we open this section then, we understand that life is full of trials. I mean, that's just the way it's going to be. And how we deal with those trials manifests the genuineness or the lack of it of our faith. If we endure, if we persevere, if we are victorious, we demonstrate true saving faith, and we will in the end receive the reward of that saving faith, the the reward of that continual love, which is the fullness of eternal life, eternal righteousness, eternal glory. That's for those who prove to be genuine. Now, the question immediately comes up at this point, having looked at verse 2 and verse 12, how can a Christian practically endure trials? What is the practicality of endurance? And that's what James wants to hit. He's very pragmatic. It's not enough to say, I must persevere. Tell me how. These are the pragmatic aspects to a persevering faith. Several things are required. A joyous attitude. A joyous attitude. Verse 2, count it all joy. An understanding mind. Verse 3, knowing this. A submissive will. Verse 4, let patience have her perfect work. Let it do what it's going to do. And then a believing heart. Don't have wavering faith. Verse 6, but ask in true faith. Verse 8, don't be double-minded. And then in verses 9 to 11, a humble spirit. The way to go through trials victoriously is with a joyous attitude and understanding mind that is perceiving the reality of the trial and the purpose in it, a submissive will, accepting it from the Lord, getting under it and learning what He wants you to learn, a believing heart that never wavers in faith, and a humble spirit that is willing to accept anything. Now that's how you handle your trials. And with that, John MacArthur concludes today's installment from his current study on Grace to You Weekend. It's titled, Benefiting from Life's Trials. John called today's lesson, From Trouble to Triumph. John, I think this is one of your most encouraging series, even though, in a kind of ironic way, it's all about suffering, and yet it's encouraging. It corrects a couple of mistakes that Christians are prone to make. Either we think that our trials are pointless or we see them as punishment. But knowing that every trial has a purpose, and all of it comes from a sovereign God who is good, that's encouraging, especially if you're in the middle of the suffering. Yeah, and what makes the trial good is God promises that the outcome is going to benefit you. You know, it just disturbs me profoundly, and you know this, Phil, to hear these kind of phony preachers standing up and saying, You know, Jesus wants you to be healthy and wealthy and prosperous and free of pain and free of uh, trouble. Hmm. That is absolutely not true. Right. That that is contrary to what Scripture says. The Lord wants to refine you, and the only way to do that is put you through trials. And why does He want to refine you? To strengthen your faith, to increase your dependence on Him, to elevate the urgency of your prayer life and communion with Him to enable you because you've suffered 
and triumph through that to help others who go through suffering. Suffering has only good purposes to the believers who respond to it in hope and confidence in the Lord. So when somebody comes along and tells you Jesus doesn't want you to suffer, God doesn't want you to suffer, he wants you to live a pain-free life, a trouble-free life, poverty-free life, that, that is a lie. That doesn't do anything to perfect anybody because our perfection is connected to our trials. Even our Lord was perfected through suffering. That's what it says in the book of Hebrews. So the power of suffering is immense in the life of a believer. And I would just take that opportunity to remind you of a book, and that's the title. The title is The Power of Suffering. It's a full-size paperback book that will show you how vitally important, how encouraging, how transforming suffering is in the life of a believer. And God accomplishes his best work through suffering. Here's the good news. The book, The Power of Suffering, we will send one free of charge if you call or write us for the first time. For those of you who have never written to our ministry, never given us a call, do it today, and we'll send you, if you ask for it, a free copy of The Power of Suffering. This will change how you view the inevitable realities that come in your life. And when you think that you're in the worst of situations, from God's perspective, you're in the best of situations as he refines you. That's right. And if you want to face trials with confidence and even joy, make sure you get the power of suffering. And as John said, we'll send it to you for free if you've never contacted us before. Get in touch today. Call us at 800-55-GRACE or go to our website, gty.org. Again, to take advantage of this offer, call 800-55-GRACE or go to our website, gty.org. The Power of Suffering explains the gracious, good, and loving purposes God has for all the pain and hardships in your life. It also looks at the way Jesus handled suffering and how you can follow his example. It's an ideal gift to put into the hands of someone who's been diagnosed with cancer or is facing financial trouble or recently lost a friend or a loved one. Again, we'll send you The Power of Suffering for free if it's your first time contacting us. Just call 800-55-GRACE or go to our website, gty.org. Now for John MacArthur, I'm Phil Johnson. Thanks for making Grace to You Weekend part of your day. And make sure you don't miss our next broadcast. John's going to show you how to respond when you're tempted to doubt God's goodness. Be here next week for John's study, Benefiting from Life's Trials. It's another 30 minutes of unleashing God's truth one verse at a time on Grace To You Weekend.
Is it wrong to share the gospel? This is Ken Ham, editor of the popular series of books, The Answers Books for Kids. A recent study found that half of Christians in their 20s believe it's wrong to share their faith. Half? Why? Well, what does our culture teach? Tolerance. All religions are the same. Disagreeing with someone means you're judging or hating them. You know, sadly, studies have shown that 20-somethings in the church often think just like the culture. But that's not what God's Word teaches. It says we must make disciples of all nations, that there is salvation in no one but Jesus, and that no one comes to the Father except by Him. It's not wrong to evangelize. It's what we've been commanded to do. After all, there's no other way to find salvation than the gospel. Discover more about thinking biblically at AnswersRadio.com and listen to this program again or subscribe for free daily email insights from Ken Ham at AnswersRadio.com.
Do good people get to heaven? This is Ken Ham, editor of the new book, Glasshouse, Shattering the Myth of Evolution. Several years ago, I wrote a book called Ready to Return. Now it shared research that found that 65% of young people in the church believe that good people get to heaven. But that's not what the Bible teaches. First of all, there are no good people. Jesus said no one is good but God. And all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Second, scripture is very clear about the only way to get to heaven, Jesus. Salvation is found in no one else. And here's why. We're sinners deserving of death, but Jesus, the God-man, died in our place, taking our sins upon himself. Then he rose from the dead and offers salvation to all who believe. Want to learn more about the gospel, evangelism, and apologetics? Visit our faith-building website at AnswersRadio.com. You'll be equipped and encouraged at AnswersRadio.com. And this to you, I really hope you hear my heart When thinking about describing you, I really don't know where to start Can't start at the beginning, cause you are before the beginning Way before the beginning, and this fallen world's distorted opinions It was just the holy trinity, ruling from infinity Glory blazed tremendously, loving one another endlessly Billions and billions of years ago, outside of what we know as time Nobody else was there to know, but Lord, here's the thing that blows my mind As long ago as that was Long ago as that was, you have not changed, Lord, oh Lord, Lord, Lord. As long ago, as long ago, as long ago as that was, you're still the same, you have not changed. What can that mean? But my God is immutable. Immutable, you are beautiful, you never change, you remain the How you reign supreme by far Not just because of what you do But simply because of who you are There's none like you in existence You are God and you need no assistance Even though we show you resistance You sent Jesus to close the distance That existed between God and man According to your sovereign plan We changed many times in one lifespan I've changed even since this song began Lord, I'm so glad that you're not like us All that you do will certainly last You are the rock that we can trust Shows us back in eternity past As long ago as that was as long ago as that was, you have not changed, Lord, oh Lord, Lord, Lord. As long ago, as long ago, as long ago as that was, you're still the same, you have not changed. What can that mean? But my God is immutable. Immutable, you are beautiful, you never change, you remain the Immutable, beautiful, you never change, never change. Forever you reign, you remain the same. You will never change, you will never change. Immutable, beautiful, you never change, never change. When I 
think about my ups and downs, all of my inconsistencies, all of my idiosyncrasies. Still you pursue relentlessly. At times I wonder how this can be. Surely it's because of the cross. When Jesus paid the full penalty and bore the burden of sin's great cost. I'm saved by grace and faith in God. I look to Christ and I trust he died. So even though I'm being sanctified, I can't be any more justified. His work is finished, that cannot change. And with this knowledge, I am free. Forever this grace, it will remain because of what happened on Calvary. As long ago as that was, as long ago as that was, you have not changed, Lord, oh Lord, 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 as long ago, as long ago, as long ago as that was, you're still the same, you have not changed, what can that mean, but my God is immutable, immutable, you are beautiful, Never change, you remain the same. Immutable, beautiful. You never change, never change. Forever you reign, you remain the same. You will never change, you will never change. Immutable, beautiful. You never change, never change. Reaching a secular culture. This is Ken Ham, and our popular Ark Encounter attraction is located in Northern Kentucky. This week we've looked at why we need to share the gospel. After all, salvation is only found in Christ. But we live in a very secular culture. If you say God, people say, which one? If you quote the Bible, they say, it's not true. So how do we reach this culture? Well, consider two sermons preached in the book of Acts. When Peter preached, he started with Christ. And his Jewish audience, who knew their Old Testament, understood his sermon. Paul preached a very different sermon. His Greek audience knew nothing of the true God or the Scripture, so he started with creation and then moved into the Gospel. That's how we need to preach the Gospel today, starting in Genesis. Discover answers to your questions about science and the Bible, how to share the Gospel in our culture, and more at our website, AnswersRadio.com. That's AnswersRadio.com. Yeah. Soli Deo Gloria. <laughs> it's like deja vu, right? Yo, I'm back, but nobody was asking where I've been Cause Christ in the music is no longer the hot trend Logic says, well maybe I should just stop then But I never got into this for a spot in the top ten I do this for one reason, Jesus the true king, son To help God's elect obey Hebrews 3.1 And though the rap world is ever crowded If heaven allows it, I'll keep writing for the 7,000 I know you out there, I still get the emails Against the church of Christ, the gates of hell will never prevail It's founded on the rock, and the gospel never stops So we dropping the topic, whether it's popular or not Sin is not just toxic And the clock is going to stop God is not to be boxed With the wrath of God is burning hot We were locked in sin's closet Our conflict was cosmic God plotted to stop it Hit the demonic with a shot I was copping narcotics Agnostic with a plot No optics for the knowledge Of the God who often knocked Jesus rocked me with the gospel And it tied me up in knots So I hopped in a rocket And met the prophet at the top Yo That's just another way of saying I met God in the scriptures But we just going to let that breathe For a second You know what I mean The Bible says He was been forgiven much Loves much we're going to talk about BC a little bit. My depravity. 
but he was total, not small like Pops. I was chained to sin, I couldn't take off the locks. I thought I was a player, a match with the flavor. Say so I know what the time is, but I ain't read Isaiah. I would chuckle daily as I paid for disgrace. My eyes were always puffy like I got sprayed with mace. I would toot my horn at parties, and I would do bars. Got so intoxicated, I was ready to do Mars. Notorious for acting pretty silly in my city, Philly. Friends hear about it and be like, whoa, did he really? Because I played dirty, Bill Lambeer style. Through great mercy, spirit-filled and dear child. Went from so gritty to headed to a gold city. In Christ I shine, the world's like no biggie. Whatever time to sing, I'm putting faith on the song. 112 displayed in John, the way to respond. When his patience runs out, then it's time for the ride, man. Microwave, wrath of God, fam. That's why, because of Christ, I got mad joy. All I'm saying is I used to be a bad boy. <laughs> but nowadays, I'm regenerated. Born again from above, fam. How else can I say that? Went from various vices to a kid that's married to Christ. Using literary devices to spit it very precise. My conversion to the master was so dramatic. I just wanted to be an ambassador or fanatic. The gospel was my tonic. With Christ, I couldn't lose. But to walk with God like Enoch, I knew I couldn't cruise. This walk is a beast, but nothing's greater than the cross. Saw the mark of the east and the of the laws, while Tower Records was choosing to carry G-Unit, I was on that revolutionary theme music, the brothers from the Lou held it down as well, but we noticed a big shift in 2012, around the time Jackie asked me about Calvinism, Christian hip-hop found a different algorithm, and crossed over, without taking the crossover, made us all sober, years later, is it all over? Trip asked me if I was still motivated, I was quiet, but I wanted to say no, I hate it, cause brothers in your camp causing lots of confusion, I love them as brothers in Christ, but not their conclusions. They want to reach the world, by all means, keep pursuing it. But tell me, why they got to diss the church while they doing it? That's what I wanted to say, but I ain't say it though. But no more laying low, I want them to play it slow. And I ain't dissing them, my prayers are the proof. Like Boaz without Ruth is unity without truth. CHH is like gorillas in the mist. With no brotherly love, it's like Philly don't exist. What's happening here? It's a different atmosphere. Cats appear most concerned about a rap career. Brothers overseas being slain in the sand while we're vain in our plan taking fame and some fans and i ain't got time to philosophize satan got a plot device i'm seeing lots of guys apostatize on top of all that donald trump's the president it's all good though because jesus trump's the president so more than ever i'm trying to rep the lord who bled and we ain't never gonna stop word to corby red i'm just trying to give a healthy demonstration of theocentric music for the selfie generation see the problem is sin no riddle in it because all sin got i in the middle of it we're mad to and truly evil we need to be born again without a matt damon movie sequel in the gospel god addresses our depravity the lamb slain at calvary the depths of his agony he rose from the grave with the funding grace and when we come in faith he'll bring us up from the sunken place our sins decrepit depths left the mess no rest was left till jesus put death to death the beauty of the victory truly is a mystery the cross of jesus christ is at the nucleus of history before the cross they were saved on credit after the cross been saved on debit since our champion in the great war suffered we gonna proclaim his death like the lord suffer so welcome to the still jesus project yo we just getting started and we got a lot left the gospel grounded in genesis this is ken ham hoping you'll visit our life-size noah's ark located south of cincinnati yesterday we learned we should share the gospel starting in genesis how do we do that? Well, we begin by explaining that God created everything, including us. He made everything perfect. But the first man sinned against God and brought death into creation. We sinned in him and continue to sin, and we deserve death. You see, death is the penalty for sin. 
that Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, stepped into history. He died in our place, taking our sin upon himself. He paid our penalty. He then rose from the grave and offers a free gift of salvation to all who will believe. If we repent and believe, our sins are forgiven by Christ's sacrifice. Subscribe to receive free daily email insights from Ken Ham at our website at AnswersRadio.com and listen to this program again or view a transcript at AnswersRadio.com. Tell it. We got the truth. 
quick question. What does it mean to be a born again? Let's start by looking into the Bible to see if that phrase is even there. John chapter 3, Jesus said to Nicodemus, Truly I say to you, unless one is over and is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Hmm, if you cannot see the kingdom of God unless you're born again, must be pretty important, and there must be more verses that talk about it. Oh yeah, there are. First Peter, blessed be the God and Father of Jesus, who according to his great mercy has caused, he, he caused us to be born again to a living hope. And finally, First Peter 1.23, you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable, the living word. In other words, for one to go to heaven, one must be born again. For one to be born again, one must hear the imperishable word, because faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. Here's what a dead guy said. To be born again is to enter upon a new existence, to have a new mind, a new heart, new views, new principles, new tastes, new affections, new likings, new dislikings, new fears, new joys, new sorrows, new love to things once hated, new hatred to things once loved, new thoughts of God and ourselves and the world and the life to come and salvation. In other words, we die to self our former lusts and desires and beliefs, and we are born again through the proclamation of the Word, the power of the Holy Spirit, as He grants us repentance and faith. Big implications. Number one, just as you cannot make yourself be born physically, you cannot make yourself be born again spiritually. You simply cannot bring yourself to life. Number two, Someone who has been granted spiritual life will want to do what God commands, not out of fear, but out of gratitude. This is our incentive to good works. Number three, even though one is born again at a specific point in time, a believer may not be able to identify the exact second, but they should be able to remember a season in which their direction of life changed. And finally... The agent that kills the sinner that he might be born again is the law, because the law kills, the gospel makes alive. A big question, what does it mean to be born again? Short answer. To be born again is to die to self and be raised to new life in Jesus Christ through faith alone. Making professional videos is neither inexpensive nor easy, which is why... That is from Richard. You can find it on YouTube, W-R-E-T-C-H-E-D, Richard, and also on their website, Richard.org, Richard, W-R-E-T-C-H-E-D.org, Richard.org. They got, that's from their TV show. They got a TV show and a radio show, also known as podcast. And so check those out. And that was called Big Questions, Short Answers. Come from our YouTube page, and it's called What Does It Mean to Be Born Again? If you want to check that out. And now we have what? WWTT, When We Understand a Text. Jesus. 
Jesus Calling by Sarah Young is one of the best-selling devotional books ever. The book is written in the first-person voice of Jesus speaking to the reader. And this isn't merely creative writing. Young claims to have been given extra-biblical revelation from God. Jesus Calling was written out of a spirit of discontentment. Bible study and prayer were not enough for Young anymore. She wanted a different feeling. She read an old book entitled God Calling in which two anonymous women claimed to have received words of God. Following their example, Young sat in a quiet room with pen in hand and asked God to speak to her. Whatever she sensed he was saying, she wrote it down. These she claimed were the words of Jesus, who sounds strangely like a 21st century American evangelical woman peddling soft pick-me-ups for lifeway instead of the Son of God preaching convicting truth. Now, Young has said her words were not inspired by God, as only Scripture is. But what does that mean? We're told in 2 Timothy 3.16 that all Scripture is breathed out by God. God. What God says and is written down is scripture, and every word is the highest authority. So Young has either written the words of Jesus, and therefore scripture, or she hasn't. If she hasn't received a word from the Lord, but claims she has, and made a lot of money off of it, is that not the very picture of a false prophet? The Bible is God's sufficient word. We don't need new revelation. Beware these crazy women who claim God has spoken to them apart from scripture. The Bible calls them liars when we understand the text. That is when we understand the text, also known as what is WWTT, and check it out on YouTube, WWTT, and their website is www.tt.org, www.tt.org. And let's see. All right, what I'm going to do now is say... Uh, this is called She Thinks Confession Will Get Her to Heaven. This is from the Moving Waters with Ray Comfort. Uh, your fistful of diamonds worth about $10 million or a glass of water, which would you choose? Probably diamonds. I would choose the water. With $10 million, you can buy a million bottles of water. Why would you choose the water? Um, <laughs> that's a very interesting question. <laughs> it makes me really think. If you were calling through a desert and asked to offer you a fistful of diamonds or a glass of cool, clear water, what would you choose? Oh, the water, of course. Despise the diamonds, they get that on my face. Give me the water. What's most important to you in life? Is it your personal happiness? Yes, I think so. You're more important than happiness. Mm. It's called righteousness. Okay. Uh, because a man may be happy raping a woman. He may be happy robbing a bank. So happiness shouldn't be our priority. What's right should be our priority. So do you think there's an afterlife? Probably not. So when people pass on, where do they pass on to? When you pass on, you go somewhere. I think it's just like everything, you know, like... Just you just live and you just die and that's that's it. Do you believe in God's existence? Uh, I grew up uh, being Catholic. Uh, I try to believe it, but obviously, you know, we always go through some points in life where we just doubt it. You know. Uh, Do you think you could be sure of God's existence? Could you prove God's existence? Prove it? Uh, can't prove it. How would you prove there was a builder of the building that's right in front of you? Oh. Uh. Wouldn't you just say, well, the building's there. Buildings don't build themselves. Proof there's a builder is the building. Yeah, of course. 
Well, creation is proof of the creator. couldn't make itself. Utterly scientifically impossible for creation to make itself. True. So you know God exists because of creation. Flowers and birds and trees and seasons and fruits, all these things that surround us show the genius of his handiwork. Yeah. What do you think God requires of you? I, I just, uh, I stick to, you know, like, do the right things, you know? You do the right things? I try to, you know, do the right things, you know. So to get to heaven, it's mainly just doing the right things. Um, I know that there's, like, a list of, like, commandments and all that stuff. But, um, yeah, it's just mainly doing something right and then going to hell would be, like, something bad, such as, like, I don't know, killing someone, I guess. Or Only murderers, not rapists, for go to hell? Um, probably rapists, too, but, yeah, it's just... It's what about thieves? Thieves, um... I don't think necessarily they would go to hell, but um, I think if you go to, like, confession and you change your life around, you could probably go to heaven. So it depends on your actions after. So where are you going? I believe I'm going to go to heaven. So you're a good person? I believe so, yeah. What's your standard of goodness, Edith? Um, I believe it's just doing what you can to make other people happy as well besides just yourself and um, just making sure that you're just, like, on the right track. <laughs> Okay, now I'm going to put you on the stand. I'm going to be a prosecutor, and I'm going to examine you under the light of God's law, his moral law, the Ten Commandments, to see if you're a good person. I'm going to leave your judgment up to you. You can proclaim yourself innocent or guilty. So I'm not judging you, so let's go. Are you ready? Okay. How many lies do you think you've told in your life? <laughs> a lot. Um, what do you call someone who's told lies? Um, a liar. Have you ever stolen something? When I was little, I'm sure I did. Okay, what do you call someone who steals things? So what are you? A thief. A lying thief? Yeah. Have you ever used God's name in vain? Yes, I have. Do you realize what that's called? No. It's called blasphemy. Punishable by death in the Old Testament. And this is why. When you use God's name as a cuss word, you're dishonoring his name. Would you use your mother's name as a cuss word? No. Because you dishonor her horribly. And yet God's name is holy, Jesus said. Your name is holy. And you've used it as a cuss word, which is very serious in his eyes. Let me go, and I appreciate your honesty. Jesus said, if you look with lust, you commit adultery in your heart. Have you ever looked with lust? Have you ever looked at pornography? Well, I was a teenager, yeah. Yeah. So that's lust. Have you had sex before marriage? Yeah. So here's a summation. So you judge yourself. I'm not judging you, but you've just told me you're a lying thief, a blasphemer, a fornicator, and an adulterer at heart. So if God judges you by the Ten Commandments, we've looked at four, on Judgment Day, you're going to be innocent or guilty? Guilty. Heaven or hell? Hell. Does that concern you? Yes and no. Uh, there's always people out here that are way worse than that. You know, there's... Uh... Well, they'll be judged by God, too, so don't you worry about that. If God judges you by the Ten Commandments on Judgment Day, you're going to be innocent or guilty. I still think I'm innocent, <laughs> um, just because I believe, like, in confession and just talking to a priest, and that can help get you back into... Are you sure of that? Yeah. <laughs> you bet your life on it. No. <laughs> you actually are. This is your eternity you're talking about. Yeah. You know, confession can't help you. It's like saying to a judge, I confess I committed the crime. He's going to say, good, we got a confession out of you, you're going to jail. All it does is uh, substantiate our guilt before God. The Bible says all liars will be a part in the lake of fire, no thief, no adulterer, no blasphemer will inherit God's kingdom. 
See, you're in big trouble. Can you see that? Yeah, I could see that. You're up the River Niagara without a paddle. Now, this is where that circumstantial priority comes in. You know, you said you'd choose the diamonds over the water. Well, God offers you the waters of his forgiveness, of his mercy. And you've got to make a decision. Are you going to stay with the sparkling diamonds of things which are, are wrong? Or are you going to say, God, I need that water of your mercy. I need to be forgiven. Now, do you know what God did for humanity so we wouldn't have to go to hell? Any idea? He did something for guilty sinners. Um, did he sacrifice himself? Yeah, most people know that, but they don't know this aspect. The Ten Commandments are called the moral law. You and I broke the law. Jesus paid the fine. That's what happened on that cross. It's as simple as that. That's why he cried out just before he died, It is finished. In other words, the debt has been paid. If you're in court and someone pays you fine, the judge can legally let you go. He can say, Edith, there's a stack of speeding fines here. You're as guilty as sin, but someone's paid you fine. You're out of here. And he can do that which is just and right because someone paid you fine. Well, God can justify you. He can legally dismiss your case, forgive your sins in an instant because of that death on the cross. The Bible says God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so he might be made righteous in the sight of God. Well, God can legally let you live forever. He can forgive your sins, dismiss your case because of that death and resurrection. What you have to do is repent and trust in him. And here's where the righteousness comes in. The Bible says, Riches profit not on the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. Happiness isn't going to be the issue on Judgment Day, but righteousness. And what God can do is make you clean in his sight. He can make you righteous in his sight if you're prepared to let go of your sins. And we love our sins. We're like a, a rich man with a belt that's full of gold, like 40 pounds of gold around his waist. He falls in the ocean. He won't take the gold belt off. He wants to keep it, and it takes him to his death. He drowns because of it. Don't let your sins take you to hell. Say, God, I love my sins. I love fornication. I love pornography. And I need your forgiveness. You gave me life. You died on the cross so I could be forgiven. Please wash me, cleanse me, create in me a clean heart, and you'll do it. You'll be born again. I'm not talking Catholicism. I'm talking Bible. This is the gospel, the good news that God offers everlasting life to all those that trust in Jesus. Does this make sense? Yeah. You want to think about it? Yes. It's like being on a plane 10,000 feet up, and your plan is that you're going to Flap your arms and save yourself. I'd say to someone who's got that plan, don't do that. <laughs> Trust the parachute. And so, if you're trusting in your goodness to save you, I'm a good person, I'll make it on Judgment Day. Well, don't do that. It's not going to work because you're like the rest of us. You've got a multitude of sins. God has seen your full life and he considers hatred to be murder. That's how high his standard is. So transfer your trust from yourself to the Savior. The Bible says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Is this making sense? This is, and it does really open my eyes, too. That is from Living Waters. Uh, that's her YouTube page, L-I-V-I-N-G-W-A-T-E-R-S, Living Waters. They also always say livingwaters.com for the ministry, livingwaters.com. And you're seeing me with Cantrell here on Truth Be Told Radio. And that's all I got for today. And I'll go out with Yancey and Friends and the VIBLE. Bye for now.